Alrighty, My Age Podcast, episode 51. How you doing? My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversation with people from all walks of life, using music to pull the calls from the early years to how they got to where they are now. Episode 51, as I said, thank you very much for checking it out. Um, today's guest, Oscar McCall, frontman of uh, 50 Lines, which I'm sure you know. If well, I'm sure you know. If you don't, then you know you will know. Um, first time listener welcome you know check out a whole bunch of old episodes um especially you know, if you're checking this out because you're into australian hardcore circuit you know 2000s and early 2010s um whole bunch of guests that you probably might get be into as well so go back and have a kind of little squizzle you know and if you're episode 51 this is your 51st episode that you've heard then power to you i really appreciate it always appreciate it um my podcast is part of the podbelly network a group of podcasts are basically kind of band together there's a whole bunch of info on our website uh, podbelly.com um, on yeah a whole bunch of really cool podcasts uh Stephen king stuff star wars stuff paranormal stuff just people talking shooting the shit stuff um and if you're interested in starting a podcast and you can go to podbelly.com and there's a whole bunch of um uh, what's the worm after Tutor- tutorials or you know how to's if you've got a podcast and you've got an idea but you know how to kind of execute it there's a whole bunch of info on how to get uh you know how to get your shit from your head to your computer and then to the world i guess to the masses um yeah so it's, that's a really cool thing also obviously always always proudly presented by gringo bandito the world's greatest hot sauce what are you going to do about it you know there's, if you're in the if you're in the US and you're listening to this and you're and you're interested, um, you can go to gringobandito.com or you can check it out on Amazon. If you're in Australia, you can go to blastoffimports.com um, or you can go to it's on eBay, so you can get it there. So that's fun. And eBay does like afterpay, so you can buy heaps and you know spread the costs around. So they say. Do they say that? I don't know. You know, it, it is what it is. Anyhow, so today. Um, it's, I'll try to get this as quick as possible. Um, Oscar McCall, as I said, 50 lines. Before we do that, um, I've got a new jam by a band from the Gold Coast called Entrapment. Um, they've got a cassette which is available for pre-order at the moment, limited limited to 50. You can get it from Team Glasses, T-E-A-M-G-L-A-S-S-E-S dot bandcamp dot com. Um, or you can just buy the digital download, which is what I did because... I really don't need I don't need tapes at all yeah but because I don't have a tape player I, I don't have a CD player let alone tape player um, but if you're into that kind of thing there's a few left um, again the bands from the goal entrapment from the Gold Coast you know for fans of trial like you know trial and error and common bond stuff in like 2000s era just really good hard aggressive hardcore um, first show was the relative new band first show was October last year um, yeah, you know, and they've, they've not, a, they've nearly been a band for about a year, uh, but yeah, really cool stuff. Hope you dig it. If you listen to this because you like 50 Lines, then you'll probably really like this song as well, so, oh, this release. So, you know, as I said, Team Glasses, T-E-A-M-G-L-A-S-S-E-S dot bandcamp dot com. Uh, you can check it out there, you can get the taking by the digital download, as I said. Um, the song's called Wrong, the band's called Entrapment. And then after that, we've got Oscar McCall. Cool.
everybody. Welcome to the My Age Podcast. With me on the line, I've got Oscar McCall, all the way from sunny Melbourne, in isolation, as everybody is at the moment. How you doing, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Good, good. Are you growing a little mo? Like, that's pretty pimping. No, this is pure um, isolation, laziness. Yeah, good. I feel um, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which does in contrast because I've shaved my head, so it's kind of like... <laughs> you missed know. a spot. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Sick. So we talked, we talked earlier. Um, you've heard an episode or two. I guess let's just jump headfirst into it. Tell us about, you know, your parents, how that, like their interaction with music and all that kind of jazz. Sure. Um, I guess I should probably give you a bit of a, a background because a lot of people probably don't know where we came from initially. Okay. Um, so obviously I've got my brother. Everyone knows about that. I've got a twin sister. Um, my mum... Um, her side of the family is from Sydney. They're from the Shire, I guess. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, so my, my, my dad's British. So, you know, they met in the UK, whatever, you know, hippies in the 60s doing kind of weird, crazy stuff. Yeah. Traveling, backpacking, surfing, all that kind of stuff. Um, they both kind of, my, both of my parents surfed a lot um, and, and kind of bodyboarded, I guess, and that became our family sport. But, it was kind of a prominent thing in, in the Shire because um, there's a spot there called Shark Island. Yeah. yeah so yeah. My, my old man was one of the first people to surf there. So there's a bit of like notoriety about him and that, that spot. That spot, yeah, right. Um, and that kind of, I guess, you know, him being into that kind of got us into bodyboarding and that became the family sport over time. But yeah, there's like if the Shark Island comp is on, for example, yep. um, which is like an invites-only kind of comp when it's, like, it's big and there's a wait period. It's kind of like a, a proper event. Um, if he goes down there, like a lot of the pros and stuff will kind of be like, oh, shit, like Chaz is here. Like, like it's kind of a big deal. Wow. Which is kind of weird. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we um, we grew up kind of in the Shire. My mum's side of the family's from there. Um I think we moved when I was about three, so Winston would have been six-ish. Oh, so you, you're um, not you're not born born and bred. No, we okay. um, we moved away from Sydney when we were super young. Yeah, um, and we initially kind of we dad was building a house because he was a carpenter, kind of in a town called Bangalore, which is about fifteen twenty minutes west of Byron. It's kind of up in the hills, super yep. nice. Yeah, hell nice. Um, really like desirable now, but in like you know late 80s, early 90s, was kind of like, you know, it's a country town. There was nothing there. Like super small, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we were building there and we kind of were renting somewhere else kind of nearby. Um, and that's kind of where we kind of started, I guess. Um, we're kind of in the hills just west of Byron, super small. Mum's um, a nurse, so she was working in Byron Hospital and she's kind of been there ever since. But that's kind of where we kind of started and kind of set off. Um, what was your dad doing besides surfing to kind of up and leave the Shire and go to Byron? Well, that's the kind of interesting thing. Like he always worked kind of – he was a carpenter um, okay. in the UK. Like he kind of started in – apparently he said it was like kind of like a work for the doll, like training thing. Okay. Became a carpenter, worked in like form work in like big like construction sites with concrete and stuff. And then he met my mum who was studying nursing in the UK – and they kind of got together and whatever else happened, you know, 70s, fucking God knows. <laughs> um, but they ended up back in Sydney and, you know, Dad was working on these jobs and then they had a, some property in around Cronulla um, and the Shire or whatever and then kind of decided, you know, 
we got a family, we got a couple of young kids. So this probably isn't ideal. Maybe we should go somewhere nicer. Uh, and because of mum's work, you know, being a nurse, they could kind of relocate pretty easily. Yeah. Um, but he's – so when we were kids, he was kind of stay-at-home dad. Okay. So, you know, we were kind of doing whatever. Like he would kind of drive us around, like I guess as we got older, like drive us to the surf, soccer matches, like whatever we were doing, like he was down for it. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. What – like part of my knowledge or lack of knowledge of bodyboarding, how like I I feel like bodyboarding's obviously more modern sport than surfing itself. When was like was your dad an early adopter to bodyboarding or like yeah, yeah pretty back? pretty early, not super early in terms of like the people in the US yeah kind okay. of Hawaii and stuff, but I think in terms of Australia, it was definitely early. Okay, um, and we've got old like first edition issues of Riptide, which is like the original magazine. Yep, you know, and he's in that. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, so it's it's pretty odd. like he was surfing Shark Island in like I'm going to say the late or early eighties. Yeah, okay. Um, it was kind of like the precursor to like the the guys you might hear of like Wingnut, and like all these kind of like like pretty like notorious and synonymous kind of Cronulla names. Like, yeah, he was a generation before that. Okay, that's insane. And like, and doing some pretty insane stuff out there, just like getting his ass kicked by like. <laughs> Big, big heavy waves, and it was just like this crazy dude with like a shaved head and a beard, just like dropping into like huge waves and getting whooped. Was there, was there the culture of um? I guess it was the eighties, so it wasn't that long ago. But was there a culture of like locals only and you know that territorialism? I, I don't think so. Um, I think because there wasn't that many people doing it back then. Yeah, fair enough. You know, and especially that area, like um, they were surfing out at the. Kernel and Suck Rock and, like, I think those kind of places. Yeah. Um, and they're way harder to get to and, like, way more remote than they are now. Like, yeah. now you, when I fly into Sydney, you know, I fly over Kernel and it's, like, housing estate. Yeah, And yeah. then an oil refinery. Before it was, like, an oil refinery and a bunch yeah. of sand dunes. And sand dunes, yeah. yeah. And I had kind of memories of being super young and being out around those sand dunes and, like, finding weird, like, skeletons and, like, like the birds and like weird yeah. kind of ocean shit, but it was super remote. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, you know, just because of development or whatever, it's kind of, it's all intertwined and everything's become a lot smaller and population's bigger and this and that. Yeah. It's easy to get around. So it's, you know, there's more people now. And I think back then there probably definitely wasn't. Yeah, definitely wasn't. That many. Yeah. So what about, did music play a big part or was it around? Like no. playing into it or? Not really, to be honest. Yeah. Um, there isn't any musical talent in the family <laughs> you know we didn't grow up where you know there was an acoustic guitar or you know someone did something it's like our parents like definitely listen to music like um obviously being like hippies or whatever there was all the stuff from the 70s like the beatles and and um hendrix and um dad was a big reggae head yeah right um, okay yeah so we had a lot of vinyl around as well which now when you look at the collection, it's kind of like, oh, shit, like, you know, that's, like, some cool, like, old stuff. Like, it's probably quite hard to find now. Yeah, and their parents um, had taste. Yeah, and I remember seeing, because there was a lot of vinyl, like, um, I think there's a shop in Cronulla called, like, Jolly Rogers or something. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, stuff like that, that yeah. like, you know, dust sleeves from, like, those record shops. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of like, it was never really, like, pop music, but it was kind of like probably a little bit more sophisticated in that sense, like, you know, Van Morrison, 
um, all the kind of reggae classics like Peter Tosh, Bob Marley, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's typically like what we, Dad would play when he would like drive us down to wherever we're going because we lived yeah. up in the hills. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So what? So, like, yeah, go on. So I guess as a kid, like that's it's kind of nostalgic when you hear like some of that stuff because yeah, absolutely. it's like, you know, when you're, you know, God knows, you know, from five to ten, like everything seems like a longer period of time and longer distances. So when you're when you're driving from up in the hills down a windy back road to the beach and it's 15, 20 minutes now, like to a kid that's a lifetime. So, you know, hearing that kind of stuff that he'd play over the stereo when we're driving is like kind of nostalgic. It's kind of weird. That's awesome. So is there a song that kind of sums up? Like, Actually, well, what about your mum? Was she in the same boat, just kind of like? Pretty, yeah, pretty similar. Um, I think Dad was more the music head. Mum read a lot of books. Dad probably read less and was probably more into music just because around the house or whatever. Um, I think some a song that sums that up, kind of era up is probably Jammin' by Bob Marley. Fantastic. Were they, um, you know, well... Uh, I guess I don't know. When I first met you and your brother, you were both edge. Um, were were they? Did they kind of have that mentality, or they were like no. more free spirited? I mean, they're, they're supportive of it, and it always yeah. were. But it was. Um, I think it's one of the things that that came out over time that you know they were hippies. You know, they went through Morocco, Iran, like Afghanistan, like crazy fucking places. Yeah. You know, pre all this kind of weird stuff like they were in Iran before the you know, the Muslim uprising stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and kind of these stories come out, you know, when we're all together and they've had a couple of wines, whatever. So, oh, you know, remember that time we got caught with, with this and that in this country? And, like, <laughs> you know, we got stuck in Morocco with no petrol, we had no money, and we had to go get money wired to us, and it took us, like, two weeks to get home. Like, all this kind of crazy shit. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, the whole reggae thing probably tied in with that a little bit. Yeah. Um, just kind of reading between the lines, but we never get... We never got absolute clarity from it, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or kind of caught them in the act. Like a lot of Byron parents would like were very open about like drug use, you know, what, what they got into, and yeah. that, and, and they still did, and it was kind of whatever. Yeah. Um, but mine were a bit more reserved about that, and I'm not too sure if it's something that kind of got given up over time, or like I don't know. But yeah, it wasn't really around when we we're growing up. Yeah. Um, but it was, I think it's definitely like a part of that that period.
Was it much of a culture shock for you? I mean, you're three, so you don't really know. But like, did you realize that how far away you'd moved? Like, not, not really. I think yeah. the, the only the only time we really noticed it was probably like when we would travel back to see relatives that were still in that area. Yeah. Okay. Um, kind of my mum's side is a little bit more disconnected. Obviously, my dad's side's still in the UK, but mum was the youngest out of three sisters. Um, and they were all kind of from a different era. Um, so it was a little bit kind of disconnected in that sense. So a lot of the our relatives that she was probably closer to were kind of cousins. Yep. Um, so some of them still lived in the Shire um, around like Gaimere and stuff. Yeah, yep. Um, and I think mum's sister at the time probably still lived in Sydney. So we'd travel down occasionally and it would either be like, well, it would always be a drive actually. Yeah. Um, and, and back then... You didn't really have that that nice freeway that Fuck still no. kind of, still a little bit disconnected. So it's kind of like a twelve hour drive. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely like pretty far away, but I don't really have memories of kind of seeing them that often. Anyway, was it the kind of thing back then? Like, I mean, now yeah, nowadays you can do it in about I guess nine or ten, but like that's because a lot of it's just every little every little town yeah. bypassing that kind of thing. Back then, was it st- would you still do it in one hit, or would you kind of would your parents have to break it up and stay somewhere, or they just they just kind of put their head down and off they went? To be honest, I can't really remember. I um, we did spend a lot of time around Coffs Harbour um, with one of my mum's my mum's cousin that was kind of closest to her age, um, has and he's got does he have? No, he doesn't. His, his cousin, all these cousins kind of like have kids. Some of them were kind of our age, so we kind of connected with them a little yep. bit. Um, but one of mum's cousins was part of this kind of, I guess, group that bought a bunch of land right near where Russell Crowe lives, okay. kind of just inland of Coffs Harbour. And they kind of set up this kind of like, I guess for 
lack of a better words, kind of hippie kind of commune where they all sectioned off land and like built log houses and domes and this and that. Yeah. So we kind of spent a bit of time growing up. Like we'd either stop in there or kind of go and visit them. Okay. Super, the super were kind of isolated, like probably 45 minutes from Coffs Harbour, but just like up kind of dirt roads and this and that. Yeah. Um, middle of nowhere, like pretty peaceful, but like just doing their own thing. Yes. Like, like in hindsight, like God knows what they're actually doing. Yeah, but what was, yeah, what was going on behind closed doors? Yeah. But, you know, when you're a kid, like it's kind of like, oh, cool, we're just kind of yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Like, this is... let's explore quarries and, you know, ride our bikes around and slide down hills and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sick. So, um, where, like, was bodyboarding, like, what at what age can you start bodyboarding? Pretty young, to like, be honest. Yeah, okay. Um, like, really young. Um, I remember. When I, I was probably like maybe three or something. Fuck. And dad used to like, dad used to go out and I'd kind of sit on the board like in between his arms, yeah, like yep. on, in, his, in his chest and yeah. like ride waves with him. So I would have been like three or four. That's why. Um, so we kind of grew up in the water and then, you know, as we get older, you know, we get our own boards, we start going out by ourselves. Yep. Um, and it just became like, a sport that we did. Yeah. Like we we still played, you know, soccer during winter, cricket during summer, um, kind of whatever other sport kind of popped up. Like we kind of did everything, like yeah. tennis, you know, pretty much every, anything that was kind of available. Yeah. You know, it was, it was interesting because back then, um, you know, obviously Byron's a little bit different now because it's quite touristy. Yeah. Bigger populations close to the Gold Coast. But back then it was far north coast, New South Wales, um, and other than Byron itself, anything around that is kind of super conservative country, like pretty much farmers. Yeah, right. Okay. So we went to school with kids that either their parents worked in Byron and they lived a bit further out because it's cheaper, or yeah. were farmers. Were you going like Were you going to school in Byron? Like, was there the primary school and the well, high we school? Well, we went to high school in Byron, but when we were in like primary school, kind of up to high school, we. We went to school in Bangalore, which is like 15, 20 minutes out of Byron. Yeah, yeah. But it's a, it's very different because majority of the people don't surf. Um, yeah. You know, they're realistically like, you know, national voters, like yeah, yeah, very okay. country, like yeah. very white conservative, like there's a church in that town, people go to church on Sundays, that kind of thing. Everybody goes, yeah. Definitely, definitely wasn't our flavour. You know, Dad had for a period like long hair, you know, earring, his stay-at-home dad, like, yeah. drove a van because we wanted to be able to take our friends, like, surfing, this and that. See. So, like, very different to, like, your typical country folk. Yeah. Fuck, that would be, yeah. That, like, in, you're not that far away from the beach, but I guess, like, if if people don't, like, if, if people are conservative, they're not going to travel far anyhow, so they just, they kind of live in their own little bubble. And the beach might yeah, be another yeah, bubble it, waterway. It, it was definitely, like, a big kind of, I guess, difference for us. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, you do other stuff and, you know, you live in this weird kind of house that your dad's built that's not like a typical brick house and yeah, right. you know, your parents don't drive a Commodore or a Ute. Yeah. Um, like everything was just a little bit different, which in hindsight is like super cool because we had a stay-at-home dad that drove us everywhere and, yeah. you know, we got to surf and travel internationally and do all this shit that no one else was doing. Yeah. But... When you when you when you're a kid doing that, it's kind of like oh, I'm kind of different. Like, yeah, and is that's something sucks. wrong. Like, yeah. 
it's, you kind of want to be the, you want to be normal. Yeah, you want to. But then normal. when you look back, you're like, God, I was glad like, we did that <laughs> yeah, rather than right. being just like the normal person, kind of settling down in a small town, having kids, whatever. Yeah. So at an early age, were you like, were you ever interested in music a whole lot, or like, no? Nah. I mean, not in a, not in a sense of kind of performing or like yeah. writing music or anything. It was music was around. Yep. Um, and we'd kind of listen to it and you know, whatever else, and it got to a point where, you know, we started to get our own, you know, Walkmans and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, as you get older, you kind of have those requirements. It's kind of like these days, kids getting mobile phones. Back then, you get a, you got a Sony Walkman yeah, and Walkman, a, yeah. a set of floppy little headphones. Yep. <laughs> so um, how were you getting music? Like, was there was there a local record store in Byron or...? No. No? Well, I think there was. We weren't that... Well, I think I was probably too young at that stage. I when, don't know if Winston was. When, like, when you, what was considered, not the big smoke, but, like, what, when you were going into town, was it, like, was it Byron or was it, was, like, Byron's another little spot and, like, Lismore was, like, we're going into town today. Like, what was the big area? I think it would have been area? Byron. Okay. Um, but then, the, because Byron was just smaller back then, a lot of commerce and stuff was driven out of Lismore. Yeah, right. Like, Lismore had the skate park. Oh, cool. Okay. Right, right, right. Like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I think Lismore was a bit more of a, a kind of centre. Yeah, of course. Um, and then Byron was kind of like the beach town where the surf was and it was still like small and, you know, what it, it kind of – it is what it is now but without the tourism. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So what about the uh, – like were you – was there much – were you getting music from the radio or kind of – were you getting Probably, it fed think, from your brother or – I don't, I don't remember per like where we. I think it got to a point where it's kind of like, all right, here's a Walkman type thing, um, or like, here's like. I, th- I think my earliest recollection of me actually acquiring music was probably the first time we went to Bali, and it would have been like '93. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe not. Yeah, so '93. So it would have been like. Might might have been mid ninety one, but it's like super. I would have been like either six or eight, like and it's in in that range, um, because everything was super cheap. My parents were like, oh, here's a, here's some group here or whatever. Um, it was before kind of it became like what it is now, and it's like still kind of like pretty raw, um, but people were still selling stuff. So I remember buying like bootleg Michael Jackson tapes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I had like bad and dangerous. See. Uh, that was, I mean, that's all you really need. That, that was age. like, but yeah, that, that was my first kind of like, I guess, music acquisitions. I can't remember what I played them on. It might have been being my parents' stereo. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Or in the car or something. Was it? Was it just because, like? Was it Michael Jackson because it was just everywhere, and I was like, I can own a piece of this. I now, think or? so. I think like we never really watched commercial TV. Okay. Um, but we definitely watched like Rage because we were kind of big like ABC heads. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it probably would have been like anything that we saw on kind of Rage. Yep. And you're talking uh, obviously more the countdown part of Rage as opposed to the like kickoff at midnight while. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of like whatever, was, like, you know, Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't watch a whole lot of TV, but it would have been like Saturday morning before like soccer or whatever else we're doing. Yeah, we're always sure. kind of outdoors and, and doing stuff. See. Do you have a do you have an affinity to any particular Michael Jackson song that kind of had an impact on you in any way? The only song that I have like 
there's obviously the classics, right? But yep. the only song that I can remember that kind of stuck out is Remember the Time from Dangerous. After the Dangerous album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember getting that album and seeing the film clip with um, Eddie Murphy in it. It's so fucking good. I kind of remember like, any of that. I remember seeing the artwork when I was super young and being like, yeah, yeah. whoa, that shit's crazy. Yeah. And it reminded me like, what's that book with like all the animals in it? Oh, Anim- Animalia. Yeah. Yeah, it reminded me of that for some reason. I was like yeah. kind of drawn to it. I didn't really get it. Uh, it didn't make sense, but it was kind of cool.
Zeke, so your parents sound pretty, um, obviously, well, you know, not very conservative at all. And, and not saying that in a derogatory way, just it is what it is. Yeah. Um, when you start getting a bit older and you start kind of listening to more aggressive or, you know, not parent-friendly stuff, were they were they kind of keeping an eye on you about, or like, you know, an ear out for what you're listening or kind of commenting no. on what you listen to? Or how were they, how do they take that? I don't think they had an issue with music. Yeah. Um, we, so we kind of grew up in this small town. So in, term, in terms of like the origin of all this, um, we kind of grew up in this small town, like 15 minutes out of Byron. Yeah. Um, to a point where I think Winston would have been like grade eight or nine. I was grade seven. We decided to move to Byron because that's where the high school was. We built Okay. Um, we were still, I think, even up until that time, like starting to compete with bodyboarding. Oh, right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we were doing kind of like New South Wales state titles, regional, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so we were starting to take that kind of seriously. And surfing was a sport at Byron High. Like you could elect that as a sport kind of each, each term or semester or whatever. And they'd put you on a bus and they'd choose a spot and you'd go out and surf. But it was kind of like, it was quite baked into the culture of that school. Um, so we kind of ended up moving down to Byron and then surfing became the priority. We kind of stopped playing. Um, Everything yeah, else. Yeah, team sports, whatever. Yeah. Um, we were, we just surfed. We'd get in our little bikes. Um, a lot of Winston's friends kind of lived just up the road and we'd all kind of surf together. And I had my, my own little kind of crew, um, yeah. which Ben Gordon from Parkway was like, kind of one of my closest friends kind of through high school. He was a year younger than me. There you go. We hung out a lot. Um, we kind of got up to a lot together and I guess got into music together as well. Yeah, okay. Um, so we started kind of – and this was, I guess, through Jed's connection with like guys like Luke from Parkway and, and Luke's friends. Luke was in a band called Think Straight, which is like a punk band, and then do covers and play house parties and this and that. So you know, we'd go to house parties as little kids, like, you know, seventh grade, this and that, um, and kind of like mosh and like, you know, drink beers and like just kind of just little dickheads really. But that kind of got us into that kind of music and they were like, they were always exploring kind of new kind of punk music and there was a, a local kind of record shop that had like fat records, like CDs for 20 bucks. Yeah, yep, yep. So we got into all that kind of stuff and we started to like, you know, make tapes Um and then that progressed into burning CDs once that became available. Yeah. So we kind of got into, like, all the fat record stuff. Um, kind of anything that was on surf videos or bodyboarding videos that we liked the sound of, you know, we'd kind of we'd try and research. And if we saw that CD, we'd try and buy it. Yeah, cool. Um, and that, I guess, kind of over time kind of progressed into hardcore. But it, but it all came from, like, kind of, like, surf punk like, I think one of my first real show was, like, Warped Tour in 98. Yeah, right. Because that stopped at Byron or did, did you have to go up the yeah, Gold Coast? Yeah, purely because it stopped at Byron. Like, we just didn't have the ability to travel anywhere, like, Strife toured in 98. Yeah. But we couldn't go because it was, like, too, too far away and, and yeah, no, yeah. One drew, no one drove. Like, yep. even the older guys would, like, just had, like, their, their license and... God knows our parents would have been like, yeah, jump in the, jump in the car with a pee plater. Yeah. Well, how far is the goal? Because they would have played the Gold Coast. How far is that, like two hours? Well, back, back then it would have been, been about two hours. 
it was just kind of the whole process of it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where it kind of started and then kind of progressed into hardcore. It's kind of through, for me, it was more so through almost like youth crew bands. Okay. Like it went, I kind of, I think I probably saw like Luke wearing, like Luke from Parkway wearing like in my eyes hoodie. Like I remember one of them had like a difference between, it was either a hoodie or a shirt. It's like the past, the past said one with the eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, that kind of looks cool. And I kind of checked it out and was like, it's not that different to punk. Like, kind of melodic. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of that kind of opened the door into, like, you know, Revelation Records and, like, Equal Vision Records. And those were kind of labels that were doing that kind of stuff in that period of time. That was my bridging point back then. Um, Before you go on, why, like, why do you think Warp Tour stopped in Byron? Because, I had no idea. Like, they, like, you wouldn't have got – like. I mean, I guess there was what's the what's the big pub that bands play at at Byron? Great Northern. Great Northern. Yeah, Great Northern. Yeah, like I I can't like I can't envision it being a destination for anything else. Like I think it's I think it's a logistical thing. Like it's between you know either Brisbane, Gold Coast, or Sydney, or whatever that might be, or Newcastle. Or Coffs, I don't probably. think it ever. I don't, in hindsight, I don't think it ever did that well. Yeah. Um, years later, they tried to move it to Coffs Harbour, and that didn't work either. I think it's just one of those things. It's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, but you got to try it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I don't know why, but it was kind of cool, and they did it for two years. So the first year was like Pennywise. Um, Blink. Blink, yeah. And then the next year was kind of like a little bit more diverse. It was kind of like they had MXPX and Game Over and like some other bands, but then I think it was still Pennywise. I can't remember. I don't think Blink did the second year. Nah, no, nah, no. Nah. Unwritten Law. Unwritten law, yeah, that's right. I remember um, me and me and Ben guys from Parkway kind of rocked up, and it was like middle of summer, so we went up to one of the guys who was like doing stuff, and he was like, "We're like, oh, you got some sunscreen? Like, we're about to pass out here." And he's like, "Oh, you passed out?" Like, and then gave us backstage passes. Wow, <laughs> thank so you. Me, so me and me and guys were like walking around like what the fuck, and we're all like backstage and like unwritten law, we're trying to get us drunk. And, um, and then we could see like everyone out the front, like all the guys, like like Luke and like my brother and like whoever else and Jed and stuff. And they're like, "What the fuck are you guys doing back there?" And we're like these little shitty kids, and we end up like being on stage singing "Bro Him." Awesome, fantastic. We were, we were like thirteen. Yeah, yeah. Like thirteen, fourteen. Like no idea what was going on. Yeah. Um, but just like, happened to be there. Just, just roll with weird. it. That's yeah. Great. So how were you, like, how, I mean, you know, they were kind of obviously feeding it down to you, but how were those guys getting, like, equal vision stuff, like, and, uh, uh, and revelation stuff. stuff? Yeah, like. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think um, I do remember quite vividly there was a presence of street cleaner. Oh, okay, right, right, right. And I think some of them, some of the older guys like Luke and, and Kane, um, who was in some of Winston's early bands, who's still around in Byron. Yep. Um, like those guys were getting stuff from Street Cleaner. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Um, and they were very like, like very like punk. Like they had like eyebrow rings and like pink hair and like, yeah. like those guys were like back then. I was like they were they were killing that. Yeah. Doing this in high school. Or were yeah. they out of high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. they were in high school. Yeah. Um, so that would have been like two years above me. Yeah, okay. But the whole punk thing was like, that was that was where everything kind of started. Like, 
all of Byron's hardcore came originally from kind of surf punk. It wasn't like heavy, like we're a bunch of nerds, like like metal nerds, like yeah. listening to Metallica and this and that. It was like, no, like this is purely like surf skate related kind of stuff with yeah. like kids with shitty hair that didn't really care. They were like very athletic because everyone surfed. Yeah. And that's probably why like the shows were so cool like, at its kind of prime because no one really cared. Everyone was kind of down for it. Yeah. Everyone was fit and ready. And yeah. that's kind of like, that's why you got like 12 year old kids stage diving and like all, all sorts of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. that's what they were doing all day anyway. It was just like a different a different way to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like, were there any, is there anything that kind of some, like, where are you musically with that? Like, did, does, did you still, like, do you still think of your, like, early teens and think of Fat Records and Epitaph stuff? Or kind of, did you find more of affinity with the harder, like a harder sound? I think for me, like, I still have an affinity with all of them, right? Yeah. So I still love, like, like bad religion, like Pennywise, like whatever it is. Yep. Um, I actually got like a Spotify notification. Like apparently, I'm one of like the top one percent of bad religion listeners. Wow, that's awesome! Um, you hear that, Simon? I think he's beat you. <laughs> I think Simon got it too. Oh right, okay, um, fair enough. <laughs> I think for me, it's it's more of that kind of that pivotal point. Yeah. Um, like, I think in my eyes was like a, a big kind of turning point for me. Okay. Um, I, I pre-ordered nothing to hide, which was in like 2000. Yep. And I had the poster and I had little patch that I put on my, my backpack for school. Um, so I think that is really kind of the pivotal point for me. So Just kind of pre-ordered that like on the internet through Rev yeah. or yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think around that time we started to get the internet. Yep. Obviously being more remote, like it's going to be harder to get. We had yeah. dial-up. Um, but we found out that, you know, we could order stuff in the States. So we would borrow my mum's credit card. Me and my brother would kind of load it up and just <laughs> order shit. Like so much stuff, like pretty like, I don't know, pretty trustworthy, especially back then. Like, yeah. all right, I'm going to use it. You're going to use my credit card. You're going to buy stuff. You're going to pay me back. Um, but that's where we got. At that point, we became more... I guess more resourceful and more independent because we're researching stuff and we're kind of, oh, it's, you know, there's this band um, and it's got members of this other band. So it's probably, it might sound like something we already like. So we're going to kind of like start to like, it's almost like a, like a decision tree, like there's all yeah. the branches where it's like, oh, this dude was in this band or they sound like this. So they're on the same label and you yep. kind of, you download like, you know, the first 20 seconds of the song, they take like six hours to download. Yeah. You listen to it and be like, oh, is this for me? Is this not for me? Yeah. Um, You'd be rolling the dice pretty hard still. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of how we kind of started to like become a bit more independent and kind of not have to rely on like local record shops. It's like we can go out and find stuff. Yeah. And you, yeah, you're not, you're not bowing down to their curation kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I remember Rev HQ was a big one for us. And then things like, I think it's like Very Distro. Okay. Had like a whole bunch of other stuff as well. But we started to like, you know, buy directly. Anyone that had an online store, like we'd buy stuff. From yeah. Like yeah. Equal Vision, yep. Victory. I think Victory for us was probably a little bit of a later one. Yeah. Okay. Because it was kind of heavier and like, we're like, oh, we like Strife, but do we like other stuff? Yeah. Do we like Hatebreed? Yeah. But we didn't at the start. Like, we didn't like Hate Breed and Earth Crisis. That came along, like, yeah. probably, like, you know, 99, like, 
it got to a point where like, oh no, this is actually good. Yeah. Like, for, for a little bit, we didn't like it. I don't I, know why. I still think that, I mean, you know, I might get shot for this, but like, I can't, I can't get down with early hate breed because I just think the production's so bad compared to something like Perseverance. Like, you put on Perseverance, it's like fucking flawless. Perseverance was a game changer, though. Yeah. Like, Under the Knife is gritty. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's raw. It's yeah. kind of like, I think it's one of those things, like, you listen to Set It Off, and yep. you're like, the production isn't as good as Hold It Down. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah, But the songs are way harder. Yeah, but it's not bad either. I don't think it's bad. I don't know. I just think of, like, pers- uh, Satisfaction and Under the Knife and just go, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit too sludgy and, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely sludgier and kind of harder and, like, grittier. Yeah. Um, satisfaction is, like, for that time, it's, like, it's perfect. Yeah. Okay. And then when they release Perseverance, it's like, holy shit, like, this is the new benchmark for oh, heavy. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, So I think that time, purely because it's, like, a pivotal thing, would be Perseverance from in my eyes. You know, early 2000s, there's a couple of bands kicking around. What made you kind of start getting into the whole playing music when you'd never really played an instrument before? Was it just like, this is a new thing to do, I'll just give it a crack and see what happens? Or Yeah, kind of. It was, it was, for me, it was kind of weird. It was kind of um, almost by chance, really. Yeah. Because Ben had always, or Gaz, yeah. whatever you want to call him, um, had always, he'd, he'd always played drums. Um, and... You know, the other guys, like, there was an older kind of crew, which was basically Luke from Parkway and this guy Kane and, like, a bunch of other guys. That, that, they also played music and did bands. But yep. Ben had always drummed and we'd occasionally go to their house and everyone would jam and they'd play covers and, like, there'd be, like, ten of us would jump on each other and it was all, yeah. <laughs> I think some of it's in, like, the Parkway DVD. But it's kind of like that's what we did. Um, but I remember, like, I was in, would it been, like, 12th grade, I would have been like 15 or 16. Yep. Um, and 
pop punk was huge then. Yeah. So like Newfound Glory, um, that sim- I guess Simple Plan, um, Starting Line, like that whole like new wave of like that drive through like, record stuff. Drive exactly drive through records, right? Yeah. Um, there was a bunch of kids that were kicking about a couple of years younger than me, like playing like more or less covers of the kind of that era. Um, and one of them was a kid that used to live, I guess, three doors down from me in Bangalore. So I basically grew up with him, and it's Boz who plays bass in oh, right. Island. Okay. Um, so we've known each other since we were probably like five or six years old. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, he was playing bass, and, like, I was kind of a little bit disconnected from him. I used to see him in the surf a little bit, and he lived, like, the other side of Byron. Uh, I can't remember if he was into punk music or not, but then turned out he was into, like, pop punk. Um, but I think it got to a point where, like, we were like, oh, like, there's a couple of you guys that play guitar. Boz plays bass, Ben drums. Like, why don't we try and do something? Yeah, cool. Um, so we started this shitty band called Shoot to Kill and we'd do, like, covers. We'd do, like, Buried Alive covers and, like, we didn't really – it was one of those, first, like, Fisher Price, my first band, where it's got a bit of everything. It's, like, singing parts. And yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Like, just a mess. Um, but it was kind of fun and, like, we kind of, like – like did demo and like we'd go to Brisbane and like we started like going to shows um, and like meeting people and I guess that's probably like the main thing like we went and played in Brisbane and met like you know the dudes that are now in like From These Wounds and like um, some of the dudes are in like Amity Affliction and like um, you know other bands around that time that were doing stuff Um, and then kind of off the back of that I think it was kind of a little bit later um, my brother started a band with Ben playing drums as well, and this guy Kane, and I think, I think the original Parkway bass player, this guy Steegy, who's like a Byron kind of dude, still about a bit of a character, um, called Blueprint for a Nightmare, um, and they were like more metallic, kind of heavier. Um, so we'd kind of play shows together, and then I think it got to a point where. Graz, like we kind of became friends with Graham somehow. I think just because we were annoying. <laughs> um, like, like my mum is part of the nurses' union, and their base was in Camperdown. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, right. So she'd be like, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, union meeting." We're like, "Oh, God, you need to go to Resistor. You, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, can you pick, can you get this, this, and this for me?" And she'd she'd end up calling us from like I think Graham's phone and be like, "They don't have this. Graham's got this," <laughs> and like. He, she kind of acted as like conduit and became almost like f- probably friends with him. Um, but we always kind of had this like affiliation with grads because we would drive down from Byron to Sydney for shows. Um, like we drove down to Sea Slides last show. Um, and we would drive down for that hardcore 2000, hardcore 2001, 2002, whatever. I remember, I remember, I, I can't put faces to it, although I'm sure I can, I'm sure I remember Jed, but I remember the first time you, like I saw you guys, it would have been at the Green Square. And I was like, "What? Who are all these guys? Like are these guys wearing board shorts with like whatever the part of my knowledge, part of my lack of postcode knowledge, but like it had you. Well, I'm gonna say you all had. It was probably only Jed had the Parkway postcode like written in text or on yeah. the shorts. No, yeah. that's, that's pretty. That's pretty common to yeah, have right. that. Like a lot of them have it tattooed on them. I never did because okay. I was younger. But I, if I was older, I probably would. My so brother does. It was something you did up there. It wasn't something like, "Hey, we're going to Sydney. Let's let's represent Byron." No, it was, it was just a normal was, thing. It was yeah, just right. like, yeah, it was just part of what we did. Um, 
and just like, I did used to write stuff on everything, like on <laughs> trucker hats and everything, probably still does. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not these days, but yeah, it was kind of, that's just what he did, that was his style. Um, but yeah, we would kind of go down to Sydney and um, I'd tag along with him and, and so would, so would um, Ben. We'd be like, you know, 15, 16, we'd sneak into the Green Square Hotel. Yeah. yeah we saw all sorts of shows. Um, and that was like super cool and Grads would kind of help us out and he'd like sneak us in because we're under 18 and like kind of help us out that way. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, where that started. Because um, so those three bands were like, did you guys ever do it? For some reason, I've got in my mind that you guys did a three-way split together. Yeah, we we did. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was with. I think. Yeah, I think Straight was in that as well, which was Luke's mm. band. Yeah, because they they kind of started off as like a punk band. They ended up sounding more like Bury Your Dead. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did it. it. Was I think it ended up being um, a high school project for Luke. Yeah, right. Okay. Because um, he ended up doing, I think he did like all the artwork and stuff for it. Okay. Um, and like got it pressed and whatever else, like manufactured, like all the kind of typical stuff a label would do. But he did all that stuff. Yeah, right. From memory, it was one of them. Um, yeah, we ended up doing this kind of split, and that was probably at end of like end of two thousand two. Um, and I guess around that time, we were getting more friendly with grads because we were going down to Sydney and we're kind of, everyone's growing up and becoming a little bit more mature. Yeah. We always, we always saw grads as like this kind of like 40-year-old dude. Constantly. Constantly, he's, yeah. Uh, he's been 45 in the last 20 years. Yeah, I feel um, the same way. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it got to a point where we were putting on shows and they were kind of like, they were doing okay. Yeah, okay. Um, and like restraint would come up and like, you know, dude, bands from Sydney would come up. So it was like Byron was starting to become a bit of a venue and Graz was bringing out Throwdown. It was like, you know, Byron show, let's do it. Yeah, right. Um, and that was the first proper show. It was like Throwdown, Dad Contempt. At the time, it was kind of crazy. And that kind of like started a lot of stuff in Byron, I guess, in terms of shows. Like, were you getting – where were the kids coming from? Like, were they all just Byron? They're just local or, kids. Yeah. They're just like – we're getting into hardcore and people were burning CDs. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it was just kind of spreading a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that kind of started things. And then once kind of Throwdown had came out, um, you know, uh, he started to bring out other bands like, you know, Hope Con and yeah. kind of every resistor was starting to go through Byron. It became just like a staple venue. Another stop, yeah. Which was, yeah, which was awesome for, like, for us. Yeah. You know, it was like, you know, it was almost like, Guaranteed, like every time a band would tour, they'd come through through Byron. Yeah, and it's always an all age show. Yeah, and the shows are awesome. Um, yeah. You know, good venue. It's probably like did all right financially, right next to the beach. Like for a touring band, it's awesome. Yeah, why wouldn't you want to play that? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, see, so what was it that caused a kind of shift in members, and you know, how did Fifty Lines kind of come out of that? So it's a pretty valid question. Um, so, yes, progressing on from that in kind of a linear context, kind of, I think it was like we went to Sydney to see Throwdown um, and that would have been like either, I think it was the end of 2002, it was that summer 2002, like my brother drove down overnight. Yep. We ended up staying with, um, with Pete, I think, from memory yeah, yep. and um, went to those shows and I remember seeing, like, a terror sticker. Yeah, um, what, right. the fuck is, what, the, what the fuck is terror? Yeah. Um, 
and I because I didn't like the name for some reason, I think, or I didn't like the logo. It was one of those like weird little like aesthetic things that doesn't stick with you and you don't yeah. end up checking it out. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of did a bit of research and I was like, oh, shit, like that's a singer from Buried Alive. And the other guys are in Carry On, which I also loved because it was kind of like one of those bands that kind of was kind of melodic, so it was kind of like kind of punky. Um, so I was like, oh, shit, I've got to check that out. And like really got into it. I ordered like pre-ordered Lowest to the Low. Yep. Um, had a terror sticker on my bike, like, <laughs> yeah. and I'd ride it to the surf. Uh, I would have been like seventeen at the time. Yeah. Um, Graz ended up bringing them out. I think in two thousand three. Sounds about right. Yep. That would that had um, DOC and um, Last Nerve. That was the yeah. So I think yeah. in between that time he brought out Chromax. Yep. Because I remember seeing Immers at the Chromax show in Brisbane. Yeah. And um, I'd kind of known him, like, from seeing him at Sydney shows and, like, I couldn't – I think they maybe they played the, the Throwdown show. That okay. was, like, Last Nerve's first show. Okay. Um, so I remember I remember seeing him and because he knew Pete, like, he was – like, Immers has always been super cold with people, especially little, like, annoying kids. So – I think because he knew that we knew Pete, he was kind of cool with us. Yeah. But I remember seeing him at the Chromax show and I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, what do you mean? Yeah, of course I'm here. It didn't really click, but then he was like, oh, I've, here's my here's our demo. Yeah, right. And he got Last Nerve demo and I was like, oh, shit. And then they ended up doing the tour with, with Terra. Yep. Um, but the Terra show was like probably like a bit of an eye opener for us because we were all like kind of listening to metalcore and like, you know, can beat down in music and like yep. kicking the shit out of each other, and then it was kind of like stage dives are cool all of a sudden. Yeah, 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 that's right. And it and like, they played far, like they played, like, they played very like, fast. It was just, it was, I think it was fast and it had like aggression and urgency without being like kind of like pretentious. Like it wasn't like you were, lo- you were looking for a hook or like yeah. a build-up was kind of like this is happening and it's happening whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah. I remember listening to like when the first time I put Lois to Low on, I was like, holy shit. Oh, fuck. So good. So good. Yeah. Um, but it was just kind of different for us and it kind of shifted a little bit. Yeah. Um, so we kind of like we got into terror. Like we got into like that side of stuff a lot more. Um Parkway was starting to – Parkway started around then, I think. Yep. Um, but that was still like – there was kind of like two streams. There's kind of like bands like Bleeding Through and stuff were quite, were quite big at that time and like yep. Unearth and like all those kind of – kind of I guess what you'd call metalcore, kind yeah. of like Euro metal mixed with breakdowns. Yeah. Which yeah. is essentially what it was. Um, you know, and bands like Stronger Than Hate and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so they were kind of getting big. Um they kind of got to a point where they were kind of getting really big. Um, but I was talking to Boz and the guys that I used to do bands with, and they're like, oh, we should do something that's, like, completely not metalcore. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and we're listening to, like, I think it was probably because of the Hellfest DVD. We saw No Warning on it, and we're like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, makes sense. So we, we kind of start, wanted to start something like that. Um and all those guys knew how to play because they've been playing guitars for years. Yep. Um, Boz played bass. We ended up getting the kid that drummed for that pop punk band, which is he was like fucking fourteen or thirteen at the time. <laughs> yeah. Like he was still in school when we were touring. Jesus. Um, like super young. Um, really nice guy. He was the, the younger brother of the, the kid that played guitar in our first band. 
Okay. Very, um, very incestuous. Oh, there's like 10 I mean, people it's, in Yeah, I was going to say, it's a small town. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we ended up kind of doing that. Um, it was almost as a joke. Um, and the name came from a poker machine because me and Boz used to hang out. And I've been straight edge since I was like 15. Yep. Um, and we'd go to the pub and he'd be drinking and the only the only thing we could socialise with was pokies. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of started the band and we wrote a couple of songs. We're like, what are we going to call it? We're like, fuck, I don't know. Like, I'm terrible with names and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, let's call it 50 Lines. We always used to win on it. Yeah. So, like, the whole, like, early days, it's kind of, like, was kind of tongue-in-cheek. Like, songs were named after, like, you know, poker-related stuff. Yeah, 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 I remember that, of the and demo. And it was just, like, it was, just, it was almost like one of those things. You do it as a joke. And there was a couple of other bands doing kind of jokey stuff. And I think in that period, like, everything was a little bit tongue-in-cheek with, like, you know, zombies and fucking whatever else. So it was just kind of whatever. We didn't think too much of it. Um, but it just kind of stuck. And then we, you know, we started to, like, do a right locally. Like, our Byron shows were kind of cool. Yeah. We started playing in Brisbane. And so, then, so you were putting on Byron shows that weren't, like, that were outside of the a touring circuit? Like, you guys were organising your own um, shows? I think there was kind of two. There was kind of a few streams by then because Parkway were, were big enough. Yep. Um, so Parkway were kind of like they were doing big shows, like fairly big shows, like five, six hundred people yep. kind of yeah. shows. Um, but there was other bands kind of coming through, like you know, Shop Point Blank would come through, right? Um, okay, and like you know, just it was kind of like different levels of touring. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas in the early days, it was like, kind of like, yeah, and if it's not a resistor, it's not happening. Yeah. Yep. But it, it kind of got to a point where it's like there was a, almost like an economy of different types of tours that were hitting Bone. Yeah. You know, you had bigger international stuff. Um, and that could almost be at the high school, which was like 800 people. Yeah, which is um, Yeah, especially for a town that small. Yeah. Um, but then you still had the youth centre, so kind of anyone could do stuff there. And there was all, all sorts of shit happening. Yeah, cool. So we started to do our own, t- our own shows and then... I think we were talking to like Jigsy from Jungle Fever and it was like, oh, I've got this dude in Adelaide that records super cheap. So we're like, all right, let's just kind of see what happens. So I think we ended up like playing in Sydney um, and then we, we did this crazy drives because none of us were 21. So no one, no one was legally hiring vans. So we'd get someone to hire a van for us and then we'd drive it like – we play a show, drive overnight, play a show, drive overnight. It's the worst. From like yeah. <laughs> Byron, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide. Yeah. Which are easily been, nine hours a pop, easily nine hours each. Just, yeah, horrible. Yeah. And like uninsured. Um, Rory, the drummer, was probably like 14 or 15 at the time. Jesus. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. Um, but we ended up like recording in Adelaide, like our first seven inch. Um, and Tommy Dollars was like, he was doing washed up records at the time. Yep. He was doing like bands like Stronghold and stuff. So he wanted to put it out and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, cool. And Simon was like, yeah, we should do vinyl. And it was like, doing vinyl back then was like, like kind of weird. Yeah. Because you didn't have the, the whole digital download thing. So it's kind of like, we did a seven inch. Yeah. And it's like, people, everyone bought it. Yeah. Whether but they had record like, players or not, they bought it. Yeah, but then no one knew the songs because yeah. they couldn't fucking play it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, because it didn't um, come with a card. No. Yeah. Um, so, like, the 70s did really well. We were touring. Like, we had a lot of friends. We were, like, playing in Adelaide with, like, Her Nightmare and, like, 
you know, we're just kind of getting around. We're super busy. We're kind of playing as much as we could. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up kind of doing the same thing. And I think it was around, it would have been around the time Champion and Internal Affairs and Betrayed to it. Yep, yeah, yeah, yep. Because we, we completely missed, we didn't see any of that because we were skipping, we were kind of touring at the same time and kind of going the opposite, opposite direction. Oh, right, okay. So we ended up kind of recording um, our first proper CD, which was like our seven-inch plus a bunch of extra songs. Yep. Um, we recorded that in Adelaide. Um, and then, so like you, you toured and then ended up in Adelaide at the we end. We would of always time. kind of do a run of shows and yep. then record. Yeah, right. And then, okay. And then maybe fly home. Yeah, because I can't, I can't imagine that Adelaide to Byron trip would be any fun. Oh, it's horrible, yeah. horrible. <laughs> it's like one of the worst drives possible. Yeah. Um. So we, yeah, we ended up kind of touring to record. Um. And then it got to a point where we'd done that record and we toured it a bunch and it was kind of doing pretty well. And I yeah. think we'd, even at that point, I think we started to, I think we started to headline our own tours. Okay. We're kind of doing like tours with, um, with washed up records bands like Pro Team and like the Broderick. And we're doing like kind of package tours, but like, like you $20 was pushing them and stuff. But yeah, yeah we, were doing, we were doing pretty well. Um, and we played like, I think, like Hardcore 2005. Okay. Six, seven, I'm not sure. It's in a Gaelic club. Um, I remember talking to Pete and I was, he was like, oh, I heard your new record. And he's like, it's not that bad. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, take <laughs> something, that. something like that. And I was like, cool. Like, you know, those dudes are always like kind of like critics realistically. Like if you think about like they've been around the longest, they've been listening to that kind of style of music. They were kind of like yeah. the, the dudes when it came to like like proper hardcore, you know, like yeah. – Who's like Dave Immers, Pete, who's like Simon, and some of the Melbourne crew. Yeah. Like, if you had their seal of approval, you're doing something right. Yeah, yeah. And then the rest didn't matter. Yeah. 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 Um, so we kind of got to that point. Um, and then I guess we we're going to, we started to write, we we're kind of always doing something. Like, we're either touring or we're writing or recording. Yep. Like, it, the cycle never really stopped. So once we finished doing that, we kind of toured. We're like, all right, we, we're, we're writing because we jam like twice a week in yep. Byron. Um, and we're like, all right, cool, we got these songs. Um, and we found out about this guy in Melbourne that recorded, and he had like he recorded Protein, but for some reason it sounded like like we knew that like they weren't really like their songs weren't great, um, but for some reason recording was like the drums are massive for some reason. We're like, what the fuck, like. What's the worst that can happen? So we kind of hit him up and he gave us some kind of crazy deal. And we ended up recording Time is the Enemy with him. Um, and it came out like, for that time, it came out like super good. Yeah. And Graham was, I was talking to Graham because we'd always talk about shows, or whatever. And he's like, you know, do you, can I put out this next record? And we're like, really? Like, okay. Um, and it was kind of like, you know that was that was like the be all and end all. So to be honest, that's the yeah, that's the ultimate check mark. Like and yeah, you so things right. We did. Yeah, you know, we put out that record as soon as he put we put out that. Like he put us on a tour down to nothing, um, and that kind of started that relationship because as soon as we did that tour, we became like best friends with them because they were they were essentially kids from Byron, but from the states. But from the states, yeah. So they're from like, Richmond, yeah. Yeah, they're just crazy. Like yeah. just like has that kind like, of same vibe. It just doesn't have the well. I don't know if Richmond has a beach, but yeah, it's that same kind of loose, very relaxed vibe to it. Yeah, they were kind of like, I guess, 
some of them were similar age to us, maybe a bit, a little bit older, but we're kind of like, they're kind of fuckabouts. Like they were destroying <laughs> stuff and like, we kind of like, just like vibed off each other. And I'm you know, still really good friends with them now. Yeah. Um, but during that tour, like, they were like, yo, we should, we should do a record together. See? And I was like, I was like, cool. Yep. But I'd heard all these stories about, um, you know, doing deals with US bands where they're like, oh, you know, can you bring us out and then we'll bring you out? And it was kind of, it was never like a reciprocated relationship. Yep, yeah, yeah. So I kind of took it with a kind of grain of salt and I was like, all right, you know, cool. Like this was great. You guys were all like, we we like your band. Yeah. Like we we love Down Something anyway. So doing that tour was just like the coolest thing ever. It was our first like international support thing. Yep. But then like, you know, we finished the tour and probably like a month or two later, they were like, yeah, we got our songs ready. Where are you recording? Like, <laughs> and we were like, you're we're serious like, what? yeah um so then we like we wrote a bunch of songs um and we had like a new drummer and we kind of just like smashed them out in the same way and that's yep. where that that split seven inch came from um and then kind of as that was all happening parkway were touring europe and, like, they, they'd already started, to be fair. They'd started probably a couple of years early, like, doing the hard yards. That, but they they built a fairly decent relationship with Avocado Booking. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who are, like, think, for, for people who don't know, they are the hardcore booking company in, or agency in Europe, yeah? Like yeah, every, pretty much. Every, there's, there's, every, a, there's a couple, but they're from the, probably one of the oldest. Okay, um, right, that would be book They book Parkway. They book a lot of bigger bands. Yep. They book a lot of package tours. Um, very, very good reputation. Yeah. Um, Horrible name. Yeah, kind of weird. But I remember um, kind of hearing about them. I think Pete had been out to do a Chromax tour with Betrayed, I think. Yeah, that sounds um, right. It, yeah, yeah, And he, he'd met Marco. Yeah. Um, so I, I had all these kind of names flying around. Um, and I think it, it may, may have came from Graz. Um, I know my, my brother definitely worded us up or been wearing our shirts or whatever. But I kind of got like... This weird bit of communication was like, hey, um, we're, we're booking a tour with, I think it was like Bitter End. It, it was Meltdown, Bitter End, and someone. It was meant to be Rain Supreme, but Rain Supreme dropped off. And they're like, yeah. there's a spot. Do you guys want to come to Europe? Wow. And like, I think the, at that point in time, we'd been to New Zealand and like done a whole bunch of Australian stuff. But yeah. none of us had even like thought about Europe. And I was kind of like, what the fuck? Like, how do we get to Europe? Like, how do we do <laughs> yeah, this? Like, yeah. it all became like such, like, to be fair, like, touring Europe's one of the easiest things ever because everything's, everything's done for you. But we were like, all right, cool. It's in like two months or like minimal amount of time. Like, how do we get together the money for this? So we started to like hustle off like all sorts of like merch. We had laying around test presses and all this shit. And, um, you ended up doing this, like, our first Europe tour was, like, with Bitter End right when Climb to Fear came out. It was just, like, the craziest, weirdest experience because it was before anyone had iPhones or smartphones. You know, we were hustling trying to find Wi-Fi and we're in, like, you know, we flew into Frankfurt, got picked up and met, you know, dudes from Bitter End and, we, like, started to become, you know, realistically, like, mates with them. But we started to play on these kind of shows and festivals, like, Europe, like all these weird places that you kind of heard of, like Dresden and like Hamburg, and like we're driving up into the mountains through Switzerland, and then we'd go back to like Spain, and like 
we played like Madrid and Barcelona and places that like people don't really play anymore. Um, that don't get played that often. Were you before you go like was there was someone um, was someone did you have a, a local release out there, or were you an unknown quantity with like a box of CDs? I think we were we were fairly unknown. Yeah. Um, we had. Uh, I think a Euro label do Time is the Enemy, but it wasn't like out prior. Okay. So it was like people knew us from the internet, um, but that was kind of it. I think yeah. it was when MySpace was still a thing. So like we were all like changing over our top eight. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Like and, you could, was, and you could upload a couple of tracks onto it. Yeah. Yeah. So you could, you could have access to a couple of songs, um, I think through MySpace, but that yeah. was kind of it. But I remember like vividly like just – being so out of our depth. <laughs> like, like everyone was, like, super young. Like, we really didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no one really did. So it's just kind of weird. Um, it was such an eye-opener, like, especially back then. Like, going to all those kind of places and just, like, being like, all right, well, I'm in the middle of Madrid and I don't have a phone. I don't know where I am. I don't know where the venue is. Like, yeah, we've got a couple of Eastern yeah. European drivers and then, like, you know, 15 dudes from different bands that, like, basically like bonding together over these weird shitty experiences when we break down and like there is an accommodation and like all sorts of weird stuff what what, what was the um what was the transportation like was it like a tarago of sorts or was it something a bit bigger than that no, it's, it's, it's essentially what they have now so they have kind of a pretty good ecosystem of logistics over there so they have kind of backline companies that supply full backlines they have Companies that have full vans, so they have like this big, like the really big Mercedes Sprinters. Yeah, yeah, right. And they have like a couple of rows of seats and they have a loft and then the gear goes under it. Yep. And then if it's a bigger tour and there's too much gear, you have a trailer. Yep. So we had kind of two of those and there's like 15 of us. Across two of those? Yeah. Yeah, right. Fuck. And then you have two, because you're not allowed to drive. So you have, like, you have drivers that are t- typically um, like Hungarian or Czech. And that's usually where the cars, come, the vans come from. Yeah. Um, so they drive you. And it's always quite interesting with them because um, some of them are awesome and then some of them kind of suck. And they, they'll pick and choose when to speak English. Ah, oh, right, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll be like, you'll be sitting next to them, you'll be having like a pretty in-depth conversation. Like English isn't that broken. Yeah. But then you'll say something like, hey, can we stop soon? Yeah. I'm pretty hungry. And they'll be like, they just will blank you, and then, <laughs> and then you, you repeat it and be like, "Hey, can we stop?" And be like, "Oh, I don't understand." It's like we've been having an in-depth conversation about your fucking girlfriend for yeah. the last fifteen minutes and philosophy and whatever. Yeah, and you don't yeah. understand. Can we pull over? Yeah, yeah. They'll be talking about like growing up in you know Soviet-occupied Czech Republic, yeah. you know, like and their theories on communism and this and that, and then all of a sudden, like, I don't know where the next McDonald's is. Like, <laughs> pretty awesome. weird. Yeah. So, um, I remember seeing you guys, what year was the Euro Tour? We, we toured Europe about, I think, five or six times. Yeah, um, right. okay. The first Europe Tour was 2008. Okay. Because, yeah, I remember seeing you guys at Sound of Fury 2010. Yeah. At... um. So, you know, yeah, you guys were obviously kind of on the move. We did. So we did Europe in 2008. That was our first time. Um, and I think it was like May-ish. We came back and played. We came straight back until we blacklisted, like as soon as we landed. Yeah, right. 
Um, and that ended in like hardcore 2008 at the Roundhouse. Yep, yep. Um, I think Parkway played that. It was when the Roundhouse decided it was happening. That was that was the last Jungle Fever show. Well, the last official Jungle Fever show. Yes, it was. Yeah, I remember because I remember sitting next to him doing merch. Yeah, hanging out, hanging That's out right. with Jigsy and Gabe. Yeah, it's it sweet. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of 2008, and we did like a whole bunch of other stuff within Australia. Um, 2009, we toured Europe again with Rain Supreme. Um, it was like a co-headlining type tour. And then 2000, I think by the end of 2009, we had recorded Where Life Expires and we were kind of like, all right, wh- like what's next? Like, what are we doing? Um, it's, it's, it's becoming a little bit too much to kind of hold down proper jobs. Yeah. So the end of 2009, we released Where Life Expires. Are you all in Byron at this time or had you kind of moved to Melbourne well, or? I guess in between that, we'd, we'd lost a few members yeah. and we'd gained a few. Um, majority of us were in Byron, but we had Boehner in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. So Boehner was playing guitar at that time. Like, her nightmare had finished. Boehner had come in to record, like, because our drummer at the time was, like, quite close friends with him. And I think they might have been housemates at some stage. But he came in when we were recording 7-inch and he was like, oh. Like, he played a solo and was kind of playing along because, you know, he plays guitar as well. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of cool. And we're like, you know. You know, Dan had just left to join Confession or whatever. Oh, um, that's so right. Like, yeah, yeah. We were playing as a four-piece. So he was like, we're like, do you want to play? And he's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so he ended up joining and then he ended up coming to Europe in 2009. Um, and that was we kind of where we got him from. Um, so he was always in Melbourne and I was in Melbourne at the time as well. I'd moved down kind of 2008. Uh, yeah, no, I think I'd moved down late 2008 to Melbourne. Um but by the end of 2009, we'd finished, tour, we'd finished writing um, Where Life Expires was coming out and we were bringing out Trapped Under Ice to do the release tour with us. Um, so we kind of quit our jobs at that point and kind of had set up to do like, a whole bunch of touring through 2010. Like, we had 2010 all laid out. Like we, did, we ended up doing, like once we did that release tour with TUI, we ended up doing... I think New Zealand in the summer, we did like a headlining tour where we, we took Black out on a run when Pete was playing bass for them. Um, we toured Europe with Parkway in 2010. Like it was our first time in like one of those big nightliners, which is kind of eye-opening because um, we'd always done kind of van tours and we were doing this big metal tour, um, which is interesting. It's kind of very different. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I can imagine. It was cool. It was kind of weird. We had a fill-in drummer that we didn't really like and, you know, there was all sorts of drama. But it was, a it was a cool. Euro or Aussie? Aussie. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, he's a guy from the Gold Coast. He was just a bit, I don't know. A bit Gold Coast? Just an interesting personality, I think. Um, okay. If it was now, we'd probably be able to deal with it and work out what his problem was, but we couldn't then, so we ended yeah, up just hating him. Too young. And a lot of other people did, so we just kind of abused him. Ah, okay. Um it kind of is what it was. You I think a lot of the time we might have deserved it, but we might have not been that forgiving. Yeah, um, or tolerant. But I think that's just a maturity thing. Yeah. Um, so we ended up doing kind of the Parkway tour in kind of April. I think we may have had a little bit of time off. Then we, we ended up doing a US tour with the Mongoloids. So I guess to start that tour, actually, we ended up – no, we did Japan – so we ended up touring Japan and then we're flown, I ended up flying home from Japan 
So I stayed an extra couple of days. Um, went from Tokyo to the Gold Coast to Sydney to LA to Seattle. Yeah. And it ended up being like a grand cheaper, but it was like 48 hours of flying. Yeah. Oh, it, was like, it was fucked. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we ended up doing a tour with, and this was, this was all through Six Feet Under Records. Um, so we became super close with Dave. Um, and he'd always come on tour with us. Like he came on tour when we did the Blackout tour, I think, maybe. Um, he'd done a whole bunch of Australian tours and, like, he did Japan with us. But he, was just, he was just down to hang out and, like, he'd bring his records and sell it and we just kind of, you know, he was just like a part of the band. But he ended up getting us onto a tour with Sick of It All down the West Coast in 2010. Oh, and that's – okay, right, and that's where the – um. Sound of Fury came into it because I remember seeing, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember see, looking at the tour and thinking, fuck, like I could have caught you. I missed the night before because you were at somewhere like Southern, like not Southern California, it's all Southern California, but like somewhere in LA. Yeah, I think we played about. like San Diego or something. Like yeah. we played a whole bunch of shows, but we ended up, yeah, we got onto this tour with them. Um, it was sick of it all, trash talk. Yeah. Us and Alpha and Omega. Okay. Um, and we ended up playing like some really cool venues that we played in. Our first show was in Seattle. And I remember flying in and we didn't really know anyone, but I hit up Posse Chris from Champion because he'd played for Internal Affairs when we played with him in 2008. Um, and he was like a super nice guy. And I was kind of like, I was kind of like scratching through names of like who would kind of help us. And he's like, yeah, cool, I'll pick you up. And I was like, sweet. Um, and, oh, you can stay at my friend's house. And I was like, fuck, yeah, this is perfect. They ended up picking us up in, like, a furniture removal van. So, like, half of the guys were in the back of, like, a full, like, moving van with a shuttle. Yeah, yeah, and, like, just holding on just, to like, your Just, like, sitting in the back with their gear and, like, three of us up the front and yeah. dropping us at the venue in that. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then we ended up playing the next show. It was, like, we, we ended up flying back to, to L.A., and we got Parkway's van from the guys in the Warriors. We drove that up to um, to San Fran. Yep. And we ended up playing this, I think it's like Slims or something. It's like yeah, super yep. iconic venue. Yep, Slims. Um, but we ended up playing that. And then kind of halfway through the show, like we went out, I think it was like after we played after, maybe Trash Door played or something. But the band room was full of like these iconic, like San Fran, like, well, like just general like punk dudes. Yeah. Like, like Davey Havoc and, like, Lars Fredrickson and stuff, just all, like, in the band room. Right. Cool. And we, we just kind of just walked out and we're like, uh, okay. <laughs> Super weird. Because um, they're all there to see Trash Talk or, I guess, was no, They would have been there to see Sick of It All. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think yeah. it was, I think it was, like, something, I wouldn't say iconic, but it was, like, a milestone for them. I think it was, like, 10 years or 20 years of something. Yeah, okay, right. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, like, or maybe it was the first time they'd been to the West Coast in X amount of time. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, yeah, we ended up doing that tour down to, to Sound of Fury. Then we ended up doing, like, a whole bunch of shows across the U.S. with the Mongoloids, and we kind of crossed paths with, like, Backtrack and Fire and Ice and, like, did a whole bunch of, like, shows with those kind of bands. And we flew from – we ended up flying from, from Philly to Europe, and then we toured Europe straight after the U.S., was this all like? I mean, it's you know, statute of limitations well and truly passed. But were you were you on a working visa, or was it just like, no. yeah, let's just roll the dice and see what happens? We we never had visas for anything other than when Avocado got his visas to go to the UK. Yeah, right. Um, the US is like, I think it's one of those things like you can do it pretty easily. 
Um, if you don't look like a dickhead where you've got a black hoodie, hand tattoos, and you're all crowding around one thing of gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you walk through as a single individual wearing jeans and a T-shirt carrying a, a single guitar case, it doesn't yeah. really raise concerns. Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, but you hear stories of like, you know, D's nuts or whoever else where they've got like, oh, we got caught. It's like, well, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like even when I travel, like I, in the hope of getting an upgrade, like I will wear long sleeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to look you know, the part. It's just that look. Like yeah. you don't, you don't want to look like a punk dude with tattoos all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like so, you can, and that's perfectly fine. But you know, it's not for me, and it's probably, it's probably a little bit limiting socially. Yeah. Um, in terms of getting profiled, so we we you know we got away with us like, but it wasn't an issue with that. So fuck, that's that's some. I didn't realize how much you toured. That's fucking wild. Um, have you got? Like a, a jam that kind of sums up those those touring years, or yeah, look, I'm gonna. I think I'll tell a little bit of a story to sum that up. Please do. So the first time we toured Europe, um, we kind of had a, a preconception about Europe, European bands. We were generally like just like arrogant Westerners. We're like, if it's not American, we don't really care. Yep. Um, we played with some fucking awesome bands. Um, one of them, I remember pretty vividly. It's probably the best show of that tour. We played in a small, weird little town in Belgium. It wouldn't have even been a town. It's like a crossroads. And there's yeah. just like this tiny little hall. Um, we played with Dirty Money, who I'm like pretty good friends with. Um, super good band. We played with our package. And then we played with Rise and Fall. Okay. Me and Reed, who was our bass player at the time, loved Rise and Fall anyway. Yep. But when they played live with their own gear, that shit is fucking insane. <laughs> it's awesome. literally like the loudest thing you'll ever hear. And you you feel like the venue's going to collapse. Yeah, right. <laughs> like it was probably like hands down on par with seeing Terror in like 2003 for the first time. Yeah. Like tiny venue was packed, everyone going crazy, but like the loudest like sonically – like you could possibly get like they're playing like full full martial stacks with like multiple heads just like yeah. ignorant guitar nerd shit <laughs> it was just like the most intense thing like i really felt like the venue was going to collapse <laughs> that's, that's awesome <laughs> so i guess the song that kind of sums that up is fork tongues Yeah. 
dude. I've got plenty of stories. I, and I, I, I'm a man that loves a fucking story. Don't you worry. So feel free to talk my ear off. So when did, when did, um, 50, well, we talked about before, like earlier, before we hit, kind of hit record, 50 Lions is not officially over. Like it's, it's still a thing. It's like you never had a final tour or whatever. Like you've just kind of slowed down a bit. But what kind of led to the slowing down and when, like, when kind of was that? And because you did another band, and I was only thinking about it today, and I can't fucking think what the name is, but you guys came to Sydney for a yeah, hard band for, for a little bit with Lloyd from Hitlist and, yeah, and saw, kind of those guys. I saw called Higher Power. Higher Power, that's right. Because you guys play with um, at the Youth of Today Hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 15 Lions did as well. Oh, did you really? You did both bands? Yeah. Okay, there you yeah. Go. Yeah, so like, when did kind of Fifty Lines start slowing down, and did that just come come with like, not that you'd get over it, but like, was it like a a time to move on in life and and shift in priorities or? Yeah, I think it was a, like probably a, there's probably a couple of variables there. Um, after we toured really hard in 2010, we were all kind of burnt out. Um, like at the end of 2010, we got offered a tour with Terror. Um, and First Blood and I think Backtrack in Europe for, it would have been for 2011, like it would have been like January, Feb, but it was like an eight-week tour in the middle of winter in Europe. Um, and we were just like, like, if it's another time, sure, but we're just kind of like, we can't do this. Um, so we ended up kind of winding down and um, we didn't have a drum at the time because we were kind of relying on feelings. Um, but we played, I think we played, like, Annihilate bookings. So this is the guy that runs Perth, basically. There's always been oh, Perth. Oh, yeah, yeah, Adam. Yeah, so we did Adam. I'm not too sure if this is the same timeline, but we did his, like, 20-year thing. It was, like, us and mine snare. Yep. Um, and we didn't have a drummer. But I remember at that point in time, we are like, okay, like, we got a bunch of shows. Um we were hitting up Alex Wakeham, yep. who's, you know, ex-hit list. He plays in Outsiders Code now. And he was like, yeah, yeah cool. I'll, I'll be keen to play for you guys. Um, and we gave him some dates. And then for some reason, like, because he's – we didn't realise at the time, but he's, like, pretty loose. Um, <laughs> he obviously didn't check his calendar, but he was playing in Europe for Carpathian at the same time. Right. And we were like, <laughs> we're like okay, um, we've booked flyers. And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. And I was like, oh, hang on, like – if you're going to Europe, what's Dave doing? Right. Yeah. Okay. So we we hit Scan up and it's like, yes, yeah, sweet. Like, yep. and I've always got along with Scan. Like when I was living in Melbourne in like 2008, 2009, we lived like a block away and we'd like drink tea and like hang out. See. Like it's like the best dude, like super easy to get along with. So kind of just made sense. So we got him to play and then um, we had an offer for, to play a whole bunch of festivals in Europe in 2011. Um and we're like, yeah, cool, we'll do it. Um, but because we're headlining, we've, we're putting some provisors in there. Like, we don't want to. You're not choosing who we're touring with. We're going to bring, in, you know, we're going to bring one of our bands. Cool. So we ended up bringing out Hopeless. So it was Fifty Lines and Hopeless doing Europe and Scan doing double sets every night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we ended up kind of doing that tour. Um, and it was pretty good. Um, we were playing, like, really big festivals. Like, we played, like, with Full Force Fest and, like, Entombed headlined. Yeah, right. Like, um, and we played, like, some weird, like, almost mainstream festivals where, like, 
um, Papa Roach and like Ice Cube and like Jeez. just like the weirdest like like not even like it wasn't even like a heavy music festival like yeah. just like random shit. Yep. But cr- like, like were the crowds the kind of crowds that were like they were good. They, like, were, they were as equally as interested in Papa like as in Papa Roach and Ice Cube as they were in you or like yeah yeah, yeah. well I guess to a point like we had super good responses to yeah, those cool. kind of festivals. Um, for a lot of those festivals, which was super cool, Madball was on them as well. Yeah, right. So we would play and then, like, Madball would play after us. Yeah. And we'd play, like, the smaller tent. It was, like, the punk and hardcore tent or whatever, but it was us and Madball, so yeah. it was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, like, Hopeless would play some of those festivals where we could get them on them, and then the rest of the shows were, like, us headlining kind of smaller clubs or whatever. Yep. Um, but it was, like, in the middle of summer, so it was, like, super fun. We were kind of swimming everywhere and, like... Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, fucking about. And because we didn't have that unknown of like dealing with cocky Americans, it was like, it was just our mates. Yeah. So it was like, it was perfect. It was, yeah, even that, yeah, that much more special. So I guess like after that, yeah, it just kind of, it slowly just started to wind down. Um, I guess at that point, Elmsy, who was playing guitar at the time, um, had started a band called Survival. So he was kind of focusing his time on that. Boz was doing pilots and everyone was kind of doing, I think Boehner might have even been doing outside, starting to outside his code at that point in time. So everyone was just kind of doing different stuff and, like, I was in a pretty new relationship with a chick that was from the UK. Um, so we are kind of, we are all focusing our spare time on different things. Um, but we're still, like, we are still doing stuff. Like, I remember we ended up doing... We did, like, after we did a full length, we still did two seven inches. We were kind of like, I guess we're, we're always planning to do another album. Um, but it's just doing an album is, it's, it, you know, it's, say it's like 10 songs, right? And the seven inches, like four to five. The effort you put into an album is like 10 times that of doing an EP. Yeah. Yep. Just because there's more thought, there's more effort, there's more structure involved. It's not just like smashing you know, four songs together and it doesn't really matter what order they go in or anything like that. Yeah. There's a whole process behind the former architecture of doing an LP. Yeah. And you, you you tend to look at more minute detail around different sounds and like, all right, this goes for 25 minutes. So like, how are we going to do things differently? Like, does every drum feel have to be different? Yeah. You know, there's so many more little things that you worry about where when you're doing an EP, it's like, oh, does this sound good? Does this sound good? Cool. Like yeah. a couple of days in the studio, like a little bit of art, off it goes. It's also, yeah, I think it's also the writing process too because it's pretty easy to bang out like, you know, three to five fairly decent songs. But for you to bang out, you know, six decent songs and then six shitty songs that kind of fill in the gap. So it's like it's a, it's a fair bit of work. Um, you end up having to write like, you know, 25 songs together as 10 songs. Um and I don't think that any of, us, any of us were really up to it or that committed to be able to, like, sit together for that amount of time to get it done than we were previously. Like, we weren't practising every week. It was kind of, like, needs basis. Like, if we were playing a show, we would jam. But we weren't jamming because we wanted to jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the difference. Just out of necessity doing it. You, and then, so you did higher power, kind of. What was that, you know, what, what did you do with that? Like, and how did that kind of come about? It was pretty random. Um, I'd always been like, I'd always see Lloyd around. Yeah. Um, but I, for some reason, I was always, he was always kind of like a little bit chatty. He's got a kind of odd personality. 
but kind of weird, kind of quirky sense of humour. But I, for some reason, I was always kind of intimidated by those older Melbourne guys. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of like legacy there. You know, you look at like the Mind Snare guys, um, and that kind of ties in with like Lloyd and like those guys that did like Within Blood and Ultimatum. Hit List was probably a little bit less because. Joel was way friendlier and kind of younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that older Melbourne crew is like, you know, they're not as approachable. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> but I'd always kind of seen Lloyd around. We'd always kind of have a little chat. We weren't like super friendly. Like we definitely didn't have each other's numbers or like go out for meals or like you know, hang out or anything. Um, I remember getting like, it would have been like a random, let's say, fucking Facebook message. I can't remember what platform it was. Um, it might have even been an email. It's like, hey, do you want to do a band? It was like, I think from memory it was like super short and I was like, are you talking to the right person? <laughs> do you mean me? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and him and Colin, who had drummed for Most Precious Blood that lives in Melbourne, kind of on and off, um, had been like jamming and writing. Um, and I think... At that point in time, I don't think we had a bass player. So it's kind of like them two just writing stuff. Um, we tried tried to find like a bass player, and, and I think from memory, Bain ended up playing bass. What, what was the what was the pitch like when he said you want to start a band? What was the kind of? It was yeah, it was kind of like oh, I want to do. I think the idea was like I want to do a band that sounds like Integrity, but it's got more of like a New York feel to it. Okay. So I was like, cool, and like, you know, those are bands, are, those are kind of genres of hardcore that I like. Yeah. Um, I've been kind of constrained with what we were, you know, 50 old does. Yeah. There's a kind of like a sound to that, and it's, you know, it it's, is what it, it is. It's hard, yeah, it definitely would have been hard to move away from that sound. Yeah. Um, so they kind of wrote a bunch of stuff, and it sounded cool, and um, I was kind of in a, a place where I was like, doing a new band is cool, um, but I don't want to be the driver behind it because I'd always kind of, I'd been the instigator behind 50. Like I was booking tours. I was, I was designing merch. Um, I didn't, the majority of the stuff um, in terms of planning logistics, you know, dealing with labels, like, you know, all the kind of stuff that makes a band happen. I was kind of doing, um, and that's kind of, I wanted to do it. Um, and it's kind of just fell into that. It's like no discredit to any other, any other, any, sorry, any of the other dudes in 50L. Um, like they would have stepped up and done it, but I was just like, I was doing it. I had it kind of down, had all the relationships, like it just kind of made sense. Um, but it, I, I wanted to do a band and step away from that stuff, and that's, I felt like I kind of do that with this band. Um, but I think it kind of got to a point where it's like, there was almost like an expectation that I was doing stuff. Because we weren't doing anything. It's kind of like everything kind of came through me. It was like, oh, do you want to play hardcore? I was like, yeah, sure. I guess and because the, people, you were already the, the point man for someone yeah. else. So they just yeah, and I, I guess I probably wasn't aware that the other guys um, either didn't have the appetite to do it or, yeah. or whatever else. Um, but it was kind of like, it was one of those things where it's kind of fun. But building a band up from scratch is hard. And especially when you're older and less committed, it's like, yeah. And can, other responsibilities. We, can we be fucked? It was kind of, it was a weird thing, but it was kind of like, by the end of it, it was like, are we even doing this anymore? I was like, eh, I don't think any of this can be fucked. And I think they're, they're doing another band now where it's 
probably like for them probably funner socially. Yeah, right. Like yeah. they're a little bit different, kind of weird, kind of vegan dudes. You know, I'm not vegan. Bane was involved, and he's definitely not vegan. Yeah. So it's kind of like we wouldn't really hang out. Yeah, if it wasn't for the yeah, if it wasn't for the band, we wouldn't be contacting each other. And I think um, like when you get older, that that that's very important. Yeah. Um, and it's probably less important when you're younger because you've got more ambition and more drive to kind of play shows, do records, whatever it is. Yeah. When you're older, it's kind of like, well, what am I, what am I getting out of this? Yeah, that makes, that makes that, absolute sense. And I think that's kind of come full circle for us though, because now it's like when when people do hit us up to play shows and the show makes sense and we can do it logistically where people are in the right places and people aren't overseas and kind of whatever else. It's kind of like, well, this show will be cool. Um, we haven't seen each other for a while. We all get along. Like, let's let's hang out. Like, it doesn't matter if like we'll pay for our own flights. It doesn't matter. Like, it's such a small thing in the in the in the scheme of things for us to like all hang out in the same place for a weekend, get you know, you know, jam, chat, shit, catch up, and then usually like if we play, the shows are cool anyway. Like, the response is good. Like, it's fun. Any plans to do anything soon or? Um, I mean, not not, sorry, moment. well, not at the moment, obviously, but yeah, like, <laughs> was there talks? Yeah, there, there kind of was. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where we don't actively chase things. Yep. Um, but if things come up that make sense we want to do, we'll do it. Yep. Um, so we were going to play in May with Trapped and Rice. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, they're, um, they're good friends of ours. We wanted to play with them. You know, they wanted us to play. They wanted to catch up. Like, it's one of those things where... It just makes sense. Yeah. Um, if we if we weren't approached about it though, we wouldn't have played. Yeah. Yeah. We're not we're not playing now because there's a fucking pandemic. But, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. God knows. But it is one of those things. Like if if people ask us, like we'll respond. Yeah. Like we're not. We're kind of like. I think a good good comparison is kind of like Mindstone. Yeah. Like, absolutely. They're still around. Um, they're probably more active than us, but like. You know, if someone says, you know, do you want to do a show, we'll look into it and if it, if it aligns, we'll do yeah. it. If you can make it work, why not? But we're not out, outwardly, like, trying to book an East Coast tour or go back to Europe or anything like that. It's like, we'll play shows if it makes sense for us and it's something we want to do. So, in 2020, where are you at with music? Like, are you still as passionate to the core? Obviously, your taste of, well, I'm being presumptuous here, but your taste would have expanded a whole lot kind of not being fully immersed by hardcore. Like, are you still as into, I mean, you're still obviously into it, but do you still kind of keep up with late, like current bands as you did 10 years ago or like? I think I do probably, uh, it's, that's a really interesting question because I do. Yeah. I definitely do. I think I'm pickier with what I listen to in yeah. terms of hardcore. Makes sense. Um, because a lot of a lot of people that are realistically younger will be like, "Oh, have you heard this?" Yep. And I'll give it a listen, and nothing sticks out. And it's like that sounded like this, but the vocals weren't as good as this. And it's just like you kind of end up juggling things where it's like you're looking for something to stick out, and it's almost like this equation of different variables where it's like, is the music good? Is the recording good? Are the lyrics good? Like, what what is this band about? And you'll kind of you'll be ticking off boxes and try to disqualify something rather than saying this is good. Um, but there's definitely, like, new bands that I'm, like, that I listen to, like, hardcore bands, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is cool. Um, and even stuff that's, like, 
you know, it's not ignorant, but it's like this is like kind of beat downish. But it's like some of it's pretty good. Like I love down presser. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. And like, like that, that, like some of that stuff, like the lyrics are like so like tongue in cheek and kind yeah. of cliche. But some of it's like, like the patterns are cool and like things that pop out and like will kind of stick. Yeah. Um, I find that I listen to a lot of like, I think just like good music. Like I listen to like the Menzingers. And okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. I love the Menzingers. I saw them in London a couple of years ago. Like so good. Yeah. Um, listen to like Interpol and like the National and like yeah. heaps of heaps of like nineties hip hop. Yeah, right. Um, okay. It's, it's kind of like a pretty varied. Like even jazz. Like when I'm sitting at home, I just like Spotify like like lounge jazz. I wouldn't even know the fuck what it is, but it's just like background. See music. what comes up. Yeah. So with yeah. the nineties hip hop stuff, is that like are you revisiting stuff or is it stuff you kind of miss but new was around or? Like... Um, I think I think there's kind of there's actually two prongs to hip hop. So. I love the 90s stuff, always have, like, 50L was, like, obviously a lot of our merch was, like, around, based around that. Of course. Like, heaps of, like, Nas references and, like, you know, stuff on Wu-Tang and stuff like that. So I still listen to that, like, that kind of stuff. Um, Like, stuff where, like, DJ Premier would be on it. Like, you know, like, Gangsta. And even, like, newer kind of rappers that still have that that kind of vein, like Sean Price and stuff. Okay. Um, Just not the mumble rap kind of, like, newer yeah. Garbage. Yeah. Um, one thing I do love, and I don't know why, it might be because my dad's British, but I listen to a lot of grime. Okay, right. Like a lot. Um, it's it's kind of weird because it kind of rem- it, it's kind of reminiscent of kind of nineties American stuff, whereas like it's not a lot of it's not about like jewelry and like just having a shitty chorus. It's like these people like are fairly intelligent. Um, they obviously come from shitty areas. Like, I, I can't associate with that, but I've you know I've spent enough time in the UK to know what those areas look like, and like a lot, I've got a lot of friends that come up from those places. Um, so it's kind of like it's almost like punk to a point. Yeah, I completely agree. You yeah. know, they're wearing they're wearing like tracksuits. They're not wearing like a lot of them aren't wearing like designer clothes. They're wearing like shitty tracksuits, hoodies. Like the show is apparently like a pretty wild, like stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's pretty diverse. And then even like. I'll kind of put on Spotify because I have the, the liberty to listen to music at work and I'll listen to something that I'm kind of familiar with and then something new will pop up. So, like, I guess how we got to talking, like, I randomly found Drug Church and I'd known the name, like, I've seen on flyers and I started listening to it and I was like, fuck, like, this is really good. Like, it kind of reminded me of, not for, like, the Suicide File or, like, there's something that stuck out and I think it's probably just, like, the patterns and lyrics and, like, there's like um, a writing, like a way of writing that like in terms of lyrics and like just the imagery and stuff like quite like vivid and it reminded me of like either Modern Life is War or like Suicide File or something. I've never, I've never articulated the way you have and I'll probably steal that. Like the whole, you hear a new band and you're not, and, and you're, you're dismissing stuff straight away kind of thing as opposed to trying to find what's great about it. But like, Definitely with that with the drug shirt stuff, I just it just ticked every box. Like for me. yeah, like like for me, like when I listen to that, it's like the music's really good. Yeah. Um, like I've and this is probably purely from my upbringing. Like I've never been that musically inclined. Like I can't play anything. I don't know chords. Like I don't. But if something sounds good, like it sounds good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so when I listened to it, I was like, you know, it sounds fucking good. 
Um, and then, like, vocally, it's kind of like, it kind of varies, but it's like, you know, the lyrics are kind of cool. So it just kind of sticks. Um, so I've been listening to that a lot. Um, there's a few, like, US kind of bands that are like, like hardcore bands that are, that are pretty good. Um, I think it's like, what was it, One Step Closer? Like, fantastic band, yeah. Yeah, like, I yeah. stumbled across that. And it's just one of those things just out of chance. Like, if I saw that name, like, I've seen that name before, but if I saw that name on a flyer, I'd probably be like, eh. Yeah, but yeah. then if, I'm, if I've got my phone on and I've got that Spotify just, like, rolling through after uh, off the back of something, like, I probably would, I think I would have been listening to, like, Carry On or something. Yep. Yeah, that and would make sense, yeah. And then it rolled into that and I was like, this kind of sounds like Count Me Out. Yeah, 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 that's right. But there's the problem is, I guess there's so many bands that you probably should listen to, um, but you, there's some um, kind of disconnect in your brain that's like that name, that name doesn't work for me, or that logo looks weird, or you know the artwork of that record is fucking weird, so I'm not going to go there. But you probably should, but it's just like you have these mental biases behind you know, imagery or words, whatever it is, um, that will steer you away from things when they're probably things you'd be into. And it's, I guess it's the the unfortunate luxury that we've been um, – uh, what's the word? I guess we've been kind of – program's probably not the right word, but, you know, it's how we've been fed music nowadays where you do have the luxury of going – Oh, there's that thing. Like, it could be cool, but there's that so fuck it off as opposed to, like, when you were buying music, physically buying music constantly, it was like you... I guess you had to kind of force yourself to like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember buying records when I was younger and, you know, you, you've spent 20, 30 bucks on it, so... Yeah. You will invest time to listen to something start to finish and it'll start to grow on you. Yeah. And, um, it's, you know, when you're younger, that's two or three hours worth of work. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But I think it, I think it is just also one of those symptoms of where we are currently. With everything is so convenient and disposable that if something doesn't resonate with you straight away, yeah, or like if if that first song on a record doesn't hit or there isn't a hook, yeah, like you're not really going to connect with it, and then you're not going to pursue the rest of the record. Yeah, um, you just I kind of yeah, and I'll find sometimes that I'll do that, but then. Later on, I'll be I'll be working and I'll just I won't bother skipping through something because it'll be like it'll just roll through on Spotify radio or whatever, and you know something will come on and I'll be like, no, this is actually pretty good. Like, I, like I've dismissed it previously, but once it actually gets rolling, like like three quarters of the way in, that's when the chorus hits and it's like that that part's actually really good, and then you then kind of click on the 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 view artist or like view album link, and then you start to roll through and you start to like discover a bit more. But I, I do think that these days, because of just the way content is spewed out with social media, with with digital marketing, like all the digital stuff that we go through, everything's so like rinse and repeat, and you've got like you've got you know ten seconds to to win someone's audience. Like previously, you had a minute. Like we invest less time in things these days, and and unless you get someone's attention straight away, you're fucked. Yeah. Oh, what a weird thought. What a really weird thought. But, like, that's the reality of it. Well, that's that's essentially what I do for, for a living. Well, so pretty yeah, that's it. Yeah, you've got to be, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, relevancy, timing, you know, all of those things, it all plays plays a big part in, in terms of, you know, grabbing someone's attention. That's fucking insane. Mate, I've had a blast. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we kind of wrap it up? 
No, I'm, I'm all good. No, see, so let's look. Let's fucking pick a jam that sums up um, Oscar McCall in 2020. Oh, there's so many. Um, but I think just off the back of this conversation, I will go with uh, Dollar Story, Drug Church, off that album, Cheer. Alrighty, thank you for making it this far. Really appreciate it. Yeah, let's do it again in a fortnight, hey? How's that sound? Cool. The war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets 
Everybody wants a box of chocolate and a long stem rose. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that you love me, baby. Everybody knows that you really do. Everybody knows that you've been faithful. Everybody knows you've been discreet, but there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it. Ever. 
Let it go.